Welcome, brothers and sisters, and guests in our midst. And we are thankful that it is possible to be together here on Christmas Day, a very special day that we remember the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. I will say, lift up your hearts unto God. As congregation, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and was us to come, and from seven spirits are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let us sing in response to salutation, Psalm 72, the verses 1, 2, and 3. Thank you. 
in community churches of all ages and places this day of remembrance of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, confess our Catholic and other Christian faith with the words of the Articles 17 and 18 of the Belgian Confession. Of course, in the Apostles' Creed, we confess that our Lord Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We find a further explanation in the Articles 17 and 18 of what we confess. And after this, we'll sing together Psalm 72, the verses 4, 5, and 10. We believe that when he saw that man had thus plunged himself into physical and spiritual death and made himself completely miserable, our gracious God, in his marvelous wisdom and goodness, set out to seek man when the trembling fled from him. He comforted him with the promise that he would give him his son, born of a woman, to crush the head of the serpent and to make man blessed. We confess, therefore, that God has fulfilled the promise he made to the fathers by the mouth of his holy prophet when, at the time appointed by him, he sent into the world his own only begotten and eternal son, who took the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of men. He truly assumed a real human nature with all its infirmities without sin, for he was conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit and not by the act of a man. And he not only assumed human nature as to the body, but also a true human soul, in order that he might be a real man. For since the soul was lost as well as the body, it was necessary that he should assume both, to save both. Contrary to the heresies of Anabaptists, who deny that Christ assumed human flesh of his mother, we therefore confess that Christ partook of the flesh and blood of the children. He is a descendant of David, born of David according to his human nature, of the womb of the Virgin Mary, born of a woman, a branch of David, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, descended from Judah, descended from the Jews according to the flesh, of the seed of Abram, since the son was concerned with the descendants of Abram. Therefore he had to be like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. In this way he is in truth our Emmanuel, that is, God with us.
us pray. Merciful Father in our Lord Jesus Christ, we are thankful that you brought us together this Monday morning to remember the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he is our righteousness before you. Although we are aware that he rose from the dead and is seated at your right hand and that he is no longer a baby anymore, it is good that we are together to worship you because of his birth. You have sent your son to assume our nature in which disobedience had been committed to make satisfaction for us. For his birth was the onset of his suffering. He bore the punishment of our sins by his most bitter passion and death. And in all this, your marvelous love became visible. You have manifested your justice against your son, where you laid our iniquity upon him. You poured your goodness and mercy on us who were guilty and worthy of damnation. Out of your most perfect love, you gave your son to die for us. And after his birth, after his life, after his death on the cross, <coughs> you raised him for our justification and sanctification that through him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. We bless you for your deeds in the history of our redemption. Thanks to the progress in the history and the progress in your actions, he is our intercessor before you. We believe that we have access to you through your Son, our only mediator and advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. For this purpose he was born in Bethlehem. For this purpose he became a man. And in a way of his ultimate humiliation, we have access to your divine majesty. And there is no creature in heaven or on earth who loves us more than Jesus Christ. Blessed be your holy name because of this gift of love. And we glorify you because we may listen to the gospel of our redemption this morning. For we do not see a little child in the manger. But we may see our king and mediator who with eternal power rules over this world and make haste to return upon the clouds of heaven in order to judge the living and the dead. And we are aware that once we have to appear for your judgment seat as well. Give then that we may accept the gospel of our redemption so that we, freed from our guilt and sinful inclinations, may live through grace eternally give us a listening ear a receptive mind an open heart so that we may embrace our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
And let this gospel be preached all over the world so that your name may be glorified for the love you have shown in Bethlehem and on Golgotha. Your love that became visible at the resurrection and ascension of our Lord and Savior. Your love visible in the fact that you will accept us in your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And we look forward to that great day of his return with a great longing to enjoy to the full the promises of you in Jesus Christ our Lord. Hear our prayer in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. As an introduction to the text of this morning, the story of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke 2, verse 1 to 7, we will read first three passages from Scripture. We start with the prophecy of Isaiah 9, verse 1 to 7. Then we continue with 2 Samuel 7, verse 1 to 17. And the prophecy of Micah, Micah 5, verse 1 to 4. And after the reading of Scripture, we will sing together Psalm 132, the verses 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. Let us then start first with Isaiah 9, verse 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased his joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every bird of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's then turn to 2 Samuel 7, and we'll read the verses 1 to 17.
Now when the king, King David, lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of Cedar, but the ark of the Lord dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from the following of the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up of your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of man, with the stripes of the sons of man. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And in accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Let's then also turn to Micah 5. And we'll read the verses 1 to 4. Micah 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, seeds it laid against you. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time 
when she who is in labor has given birth, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the end of the earth, and he shall be their peace.
Let's then turn to the Gospel of Christmas in Luke 2. I will read as text the verses 1 to 7. But I will make a small change in the reading of the text. In verse 2, in my Bible, there is after the word when, when Quirinius, a note that it has to be an other translation. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor, but this has to be before Quirinius was governor of Syria. Let's read the whole passage. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration before Quirinius was governor over Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth of her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swollen cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Till so far, the text. In response to the gospel, we will sing as our Amen song, Psalm, sorry, hymn 23, all the verses of hymn 23. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, to be continued. These words can be found beneath any serial story in a magazine. We can also place these words beneath the Gospel of Christmas, to be continued. The question is namely, what effect does the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ have on your lives? What do you do with his story? Does the story of his birth have any consequences in your life? A missionary was confronted with this question within the mysterious jungles of Irinjaya. It was very dangerous there. Ever-hungry crocodiles, poisonous snakes of all sorts and varieties and sizes. But that was not even the greatest danger of all. That missionary came into contact with the Sewish, a tribe of cannibals and headhunters. A tribe whose culture was thoroughly and completely barbaric. 
In effect, they only knew one proverb. We fatten you with our friendship to butcher you. They make friends in order to kill. As they take pride in misleading their victims, they act friendly but do not mean a thing of it. They betray instead of loving and forgiving people. And his contact with his tribe, this question arose, what effect does the birth of the Savior have upon these people? People who use the skulls of their enemies as a pillow for their heads. And the missionary learned more about the culture and religion of the Savior. He heard about the custom of the peace child. One tribe will give a child to another tribe and vice versa. And as long as the child lives, there will be peace between the two tribes. And an end is put to all the murdering. A fragile peace, to be sure. For if the child dies, the peace is shattered and the bloodthirsty behavior starts all over again. Peace, child. A temporary truce in a world of bloodlust. And the missionary made use of that fact to tell the Savies about the Prince of Peace, born in Bethlehem, forever seated on the throne of God, of his peace. There shall be no end to be continued. And I would like to summarize the message of the text for you in this way. It is the birth notice of the Prince of Peace. And we look at the power of the Peace Emperor. The first aspect we will see. We look at the promise of the peace king, the second aspect we will see, and we look at the humility of the peace child, the third and last aspect we will see. It is the birth notice of the prince of peace, the power of the peace emperor, the promise of the peace king, and the humility of the peace child. How thankful we should be that we have four Gospels. For Jesus Christ is too great and glorious to be captured by one author or depicted from one perspective. It is very helpful to see in the four evangelists four dimensions of the saving purpose of God. Its length, its depth, its height and its breadth. Matthew reveals its length, for he depicts Christ in Scripture, who looks back over long centuries of expectation. Mark emphasizes its depth, for he depicts the suffering servant who looks down to the depth of the humiliation he endured. And John reveals his height, 
For he depicts the word made flesh who looks up to the height from which he came and to which he is intends to raise us. And in Luke, it is the breath of God's purpose which emerges for the, he depicts Christ as the savior of the world, irrespective of race or nationality, rank, sex or age. And this becomes clear when we notice that Luke was a historian. He has not written a myth or a fable. He claims to have written down the facts. And he arranges all the facts in such a way that it becomes clear that the Lord Jesus came as the Savior of the world. And this becomes clear straight from the beginning when he starts with the description of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He arranges the facts surrounding the birth in such a way that we immediately understand the meaning of it all. Through his choice, choice of words, we receive a peep behind the scenes of world history and he lifts the birth of our Savior up to the level of worldwide significance. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Augustus. That name immediately attracts attention. Especially that of the most excellent Theophilus, the Roman for whom Luke had meticulously investigated everything and written his gospel. For whom Luke has written down all his findings. Augustus. That is the name of the emperor of that mighty Roman Empire. And it is not the name that he has received at his birth. It is the title which he received from the Senate after his rule has become established. Augustus, the first emperor of the Roman Empire. And what an emperor he is! When he, as an 18-year-old, attempts to take over the leadership after the death of Julius Caesar, he manages to remove his political opponents step by step. He doesn't recall from scheming and intrigue, not even from political murder, until he alone finally holds the reins of the then known world in his hands. And under his lengthy rule, an age of peace dawns for the Roman Empire. A golden age for the whole Roman nation. The peace of Augustus. Out of thankfulness they gave him the grandest title. Even titles with a religious sound. They call him father of the fatherland. The savior of the human race. The leader promised of old. Of divine descent. 
And in every large city of the province of Asia, you can read this. He has given the earth a totally different appearance. His day is the start of a new life and of a new life force. He will make an end to all wars. He will bring everything to order in a worthy manner. Through his coming, the expectations of our forefathers have been fulfilled. A new era has begun from the time of his birth. Augustus, the exalted one, the one to be adored. Peace on earth comes from his hands, they said in the Roman Empire. And it is no wonder that all over his empire is revered like a god. And that because of him, an altar for the goddess of peace is erected in the city of Rome. And after his death, he is even elevated to the ranks of the gods. Augustus, the exalted one. And Luke uses quite a few words to sketch the influence of this man. He issues the command that the whole empire is to be registered. He speaks and everyone obeys. He puts order into the affairs of the, his empire and nobody may resist. The whole world has to obey him. All set out to register themselves. Everyone goes to his own city. And the power of this heathen man is so great that his arm and his arm reaches so far that he intrudes upon the lives of the nations, also that of Joseph and Mary. But do not be mistaken, says Luke. Look at the history of this world from another angle. For those happenings in the land of Palestine and the registration of the whole empire are dated. And the stamp date is not that of Augustus. On the contrary, Augustus' command receives the stamp of the kingdom of God. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. These are the days in which God arises to redeem his people. The days that God sent his messenger to Zacharias. The days in which Elizabeth became, becomes pregnant. When the Lord sent his heavenly messenger to Mary. Augustus also sent his messengers throughout the whole world. And Augustus does this at the command of God. Even though he himself is not aware of this. And carefully and meticulously the evangelist Luke examines all the facts. And he arranges them in such a way that it becomes clear that even Augustus is an instrument in God's hands to bring about a lasting peace. The command of Augustus served the eternal degree of God. 
It is not Augustus in Rome who governs the world. It is the Lord in heaven who governs Rome and arranges the fact to suit himself. Augustus too would have no power if it had not been given to him by God. The first book that Luke has written is about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up. Acts 1, verse 1. And at the end of the book of Luke, the Acts, the second book of Luke, the Acts, we hear that Paul preaches the kingdom of God in Rome. And he freely teaches everything concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence and without any hindrances. He who sits in heaven laughs. The arrogant is scatters in the contemplation of their hearts. The great and powerful he dashes from their thrones. He exalts the lowly. Augustus issues his commands. Joseph and Mary have to obey and travel to the city of David, Bethlehem. But all has been placed within the framework of God's campaign of peace in this world. It is the way in which Jesus Christ receives the name above every other name. Just before his ascension, the child that will be born shall say, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. True. We often notice very little of it. There are so many things in this world which frighten us. When you read the people, you often cannot make heads or tails out of it. One tragedy follows after another. All of a sudden, you may be affected too. A serious illness. A terrible accident. Hunger all over the world. Russian soldiers in the Ukraine. Hamas fighting Israel. Just mention a few. And also at the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, there seems to be little reason to celebrate. Augustus rules, and he forces the world to be registered. We are placed before the massive power of the mightiest man of the whole world. But Luke puts the gospel of the birth of Christ in a grand perspective, peace on earth, through the birth of this child, things start to happen. The Lord has greatly increased our joy. Every warrior's shoes with crashes down shall be destroyed. And every garment rolled in blood shall be burnt as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. Peace forever on the throne of David. No, troubles and difficulties do not immediately disappear. They do not do so in the days of Jesus' birth either. 
The will of Augustus is still the law of the land. The misery of the world remains and is still present everywhere, even now. And our own lives are touched by it. But the following promise is applicable even now. Jesus' birth puts its stamp on the history of the world. He determines the course of your life. In the midst of difficult circumstances, you do not end up in a situation with this without hope. The story of our deliverance is to be continued. Jesus says, Lo, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. He is the Prince of Peace. And by His power, He brings about the eternal peace with God. And He grants that peace to everyone who believes. And this brings to the second aspect, the promise of the peace king. In many children's Bibles, Joseph and Mary are pictured as two very naive people. Somewhat simple-minded, those two. They would barely have known what came over them. If you, however, follow the train of Luke's Gospel, then any talk of simple-mindedness is out of the question. We do hear of faith and faithful obedience. Mary believes the word of the angel. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And she acts accordingly. She immediately packs her bags and journeys to Elizabeth. Joseph too. After the angel had appeared to him in a dream, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took to him his wife. And almost redundantly it is added, he did not know her until she had given birth. And this same attitude also typifies them in the story of Christ's birth. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Joseph is fully aware of what he is doing. He takes his wife, and he brings her to Bethlehem, so that he can be registered together with her. And in the near future, the child will also be registered there in Bethlehem on purpose. For Joseph understands that as the legal heir to the throne, he must now take a step backwards and he acts accordingly. After all, Joseph knows exactly what it's all about. Mary was told with emphasis, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and, and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
And he will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And in the dream, Joseph himself was also clearly addressed as such. Joseph, son of David, for the sake of the birth of the great son of David, they need to go to Bethlehem. And Joseph knows that in doing so, he must forego all his rights to the throne. For the sake of a far greater peace than he, Joseph, can ever hope to bring about. Did not the promise to David sound like this? David says this, doesn't he? The Lord will build you a house. Your son shall sit on your throne. If he commits iniquity, the Lord will punish him. But God's mercy shall not depart from him. Your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And in Psalm 132 we think the same. Is that your sons in faith uphold my covenant made in days of old and keep the law that I unfold? I too their offspring shall pass on your kingdom's everlasting throne. And in this psalm we also hear why Joseph as the lawful crown prince must now take a step backwards. For he will never be able to achieve complete obedience as the son of David. No matter what Joseph will do and how he will act. He will never be the true king of peace. His own sin stands in his way. And at the same time, Joseph knows out of the mouth of the angel that the royal son who will be born will come to save his people from their sin. And he's also the reason why this other name is mentioned in the story of Jesus' birth. This registration took place in the actual translation when Quirinius was governor over Syria. But this translation creates great problems. For it cannot be denied that Quirinius was not yet governor over Syria at that time. One thing is clear, the governing period of Quirinius started 11 years after the birth of Christ. And therefore we should translate it in this way. This was the registration before Quirinius governed Syria. And now it becomes clear what Luke is getting at. For a great deal is known about the census by this Quirinius. For we hear about this sentence in the book of Acts. Out of the mouth of Gamaliel, we hear these words. After this, Judas and Judas of Galilee rose up in the day of the census and drew away from of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. Well then, says Luke, 
this census of Joseph and his obedience must not be confused with that census of Quirinius. The census of Quirinius took place many years later and it was the immediate cause of the Jewish war. Judas of Galilee took the opportunity to rebel against the government and to seize a place on the throne of David by way of revolution. And this Judas of Galilee was also from the lineage of David and he was presum presumably also originally from Bethlehem. Well, then people would also have looked for the legal heir to the throne in the days of Joseph's registration. And at a sign from Joseph, they would certainly also have risen in revolt in order to throw off the hated yoke of the Romans. And Luke accurate in this detail contrasted to Joseph and the Judas. Joseph does not call for a revolution. He consciously gives up his rights. And he doesn't desire a throne for himself. He will not even think of departing from the lawful ways. Together with me, he goes to Bethlehem. And all that he does is to let himself be registered in the city of his father David, together with his wife, and in the near future also the child, his son. Joseph makes room for his son. He will be registered in his name. And by his obedience, the child will obtain the right to the throne of his father David and sits eternally upon the throne of David. He will be the real king of peace. There will be no end to his kingdom. And by way of Joseph's obedience, this child is appointed to be our eternal king. He rules us by his word and spirit. He protects and keeps us in the deliverance he has obtained for us. The gospel of eternal peace is to be continued. Give yourself up to this king. And then allow him to also rule over you. Listen to his commands. And in obedience take on to fight against your sins. For in this way you will rule with your king of peace eternally. Over all creatures. And this brings us to the humility of the peace child. The actual story of the birth is told in a few words. No sensational details. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swollen cloth. Nothing special. Is not even her only child. Later on, more children follow James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and daughters as well. Matthew 13. You cannot get anything more ordinary. 
It should not be otherwise either. Why not, you may ask? Would not a miraculous birth make more of an impression upon Theophilus? Would not many more have believed in this son if his birth had been unusual? Are not many people turned off because of this simple birth notice? Well, I do not think so. A few chapters later, Jesus says in chapter 7, an unbelieving generation does not want to believe anyway, no matter how the Redeemer presents himself. For John the Baptist was coming, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come, in, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a gluten and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Only those who accept God's message in faith and repentance agree with God in his wisdom. God asks faith from us. And only faith accepts the normal birth of this peace child. A stumbling block for many. It is the wisdom of God who comes to redeem people of flesh and blood. Indeed. And then there is still a remarkable detail. Mary lays the peace child in a feeding trough for animals because there was no room for, for him in the inn. You ought not to forego the customary idea of a stable and a crib. For the actual birth, they apparently needed to seek shelter in a place other than a ha the house in which they were staying. For time of delivery, they must seek shelter from the elements in an empty stable and lay the child in a feeding trough. A remarkable detail, the peace child comes in very humble circumstances. His first place of rest is a crib. He had neither form nor comeliness that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man. But it is he whom God has chosen to be our peace child. And blessed are those who do not take offense on account of his humble state. The lowliness of the peace child in the stable of Bethlehem is a prelude to his life on earth. The peace child will afterwards climb up far above all power and glory to the throne of God. And there he seats himself at God's right hand. And he is given all power in heaven and on earth. Through him there is peace for those who are close by and for those who live far, far off. A peace which goes beyond our comprehension. For he brings about peace with God. On the cross he has put to death all enmity and hatred. Through him we have obtained entry to the Father. And we receive the strength to live in peace. Also with our neighbor. For the fruit of this peace is friendliness, goodness, forgiveness. Is forgiving each other. As also God has forgiven you 
in this Prince of Peace. Unbelief really only knows one law. We have fattened you with friendship for the kill. At best, they will make friends in order to benefit from it themselves. They, we take pride in misleading and betraying others by nature. And when it comes to the crunch, we want to elbow ahead at the cost of other people. Or we want to climb up over the backs of others without really caring what will happen to them. But then the question is, what effect does the birth of the peace child, the Prince of Peace, have on your life? Do you live in peace with God? Do you allow your sins to be washed away by the blood of the Prince of Peace? Uh, and are you then prepared to make peace with your neighbor? Your very close neighbor? Here in the church of Southern River? Will you lay aside all enmity and hatred? And fight against your jealousy? Abandoning all ranting, raving and cursing? Will you remember and assist people in their troubles and difficulties? Through the birth of the peace child and faith in him, the Lord places us upon the way of peace. Also in order to spread abroad that peace to others. And we may travel that way with joy, looking up to God in love, and in love looking around, caring for others, causing others to share in the peace and joy which we have in Christ, our Prince of Peace. In this way, the gospel of the birth of the Prince of Peace is to be continued today, tomorrow. Yes, every day of your life, till we will meet the Prince, the King of Peace, forever. Amen.
Let's thank the Lord. It is so great, our God, to praise you with our hallelujahs. Praised be your holy name for that wonderful gift of the Prince of Peace who came to this world to give his life for our sins. And we are so thankful that we know that he completed his task and that he ascended into heaven and sits at your right hand to rule over this world and that he knows every one of us individually and we are thankful that we may adore him as our king of peace for he will bring eternal peace to everyone who believes and we are thankful that we are allowed to be among those people who praise your holy name. And we are thankful for the gift you have given in your only begotten son who was born in Bethlehem. Lord, we are thankful that we know that this story has to be continued in our lives that we shine peace to everyone that the people may see it in us that thanks to your holy spirit we became children of peace and that in every situation we live because of the peace you have given to us for the forgiveness of all our sins. Lord, there can be very difficult days. You know our circumstances as a result of the fall into sin. But we are thankful that in every situation we may know that you care and give what is necessary and that you stimulate us to help others. We think also of people in our own congregation who suffer with mental or physical illnesses. Your Lord, you know them all. We also hear, heard of Jerry Hart, that his health was going downwards. But we are thankful that he, yes, we all, are encouraged by the gospel of Christmas, the peace child, that he was born to show his peace in the forgiveness of our sins, and that we may look forward to the time that we will be with you without any problems, without any sicknesses, without any difficulties and therefore thankfully we are waiting for the return of the Prince of Peace and we ask you that he may come back soon 
so that we will enjoy the peace forever for the glory of your holy name. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have now the opportunity to set your gifts apart for the work, as mission work in Papua New Guinea. And after that, we will sing as our closing hymn, hymn 20, the verses 1, 2, 3, and 4.
Let our heart unto God receive the blessing of the Lord and depart in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.